Um, a very uh, warm welcome to you all. Thank you for the warm welcome uh, that I have received uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Andy, as I've said already, and it's a real pleasure to, to be with you this morning, uh, to sharing a little bit about the work of uh, IJM, or International Justice Mission, and more than that, sharing about God's heart for justice, uh, a key theme that we th- see throughout Scripture, um, and very, uh, very poignantly in our uh, psalm that Derek read for us this morning. Um, I met with Derek and Katrina a few months ago now, and it was a real pleasure to chat a little bit about what role uh, justice has in Christian discipleship. And I think in a world that is, um, particularly our context here, that is becoming more and more hostile towards God's word and perhaps traditional evangelistic techniques, I think something that the church throughout Scotland has looked at as an opportunity to share God's heart uh, and the gospel is through serving uh, and meeting social need. So it's a real pleasure to be sharing about that uh, this morning. Uh, I work for International Justice Mission, and very briefly, uh, what we do as an organization is really responding to the problem of uh, violence that there is in the world, particularly in the developing world. And there are many, many people in our world that are vulnerable to violence on a daily basis. And we have a call in scripture uh, as Christians to, to do something about that. So I'm delighted to be, to be speaking this morning. So firstly, a few comments on our psalm today. Um, For those of you that know uh, your psalms, and I presume there's a lot of you uh, in the Free Church, um, I was connected uh, with St. Peter's Free Church uh, for for a short while, uh, and many of my good friends went there when I was studying in in Dundee, so um, very much know of uh, the Free Church's connections to the psalms. But this psalm is an interesting one. In the original Hebrew Uh, text, Psalms 9 and 10 were considered as one um, because they very much uh, contain similar themes. Um, Psalm 10 is known as an acrostic psalm, i.e. it picks up immediately where Psalm 9 uh, leaves off. So some of the similarities between the two psalms both refer to God's interest in the oppressed both mention times of trouble that the Israelites were going through. Both call on God to arise against us, and both are sure that God will not forget uh, the afflicted. There are some differences, and that is why in our Bible uh, today they are separate. Um, Psalm 9 is uh, very much a song of praise and thanksgiving, um, written by uh, David. And then Psalm 10, although we don't have uh, the author of this psalm, we can presume it is probably David. Uh, Psalm 10 is largely a lament, so quite a different genre, quite a different, um, I guess, sort of feel to to the psalm. So just really to um, highlight where we're uh, going today, Um, from the perspective of this psalm, and also from the perspective of IJM's work, and some of the issues that we see in the world, we're going to be looking at the reality of violence. We're then going to ask the question of where is God uh, in this, something that 
many of us, I'm sure, have asked at times, and certainly people that don't share a faith with us often ask. Um, then moving on to consider where are God's people in responding to this, and then just concluding um, with a few comments. So firstly, the problem of violence. Uh, this is something that we see painted quite dramatically in this psalm, in the first 11 verses, verses 1 to 11. We see the ways in which wicked people um, make the weak suffer for their gain. Um, I'm not too sure what, what boy it was, but the comment that the, the boy made in the kids' talk was, was right on. Like, wherever there is injustice, there's always someone that's wanting to gain uh, on behalf of that. Um, and that is what we see in this passage. We see the wicked who are most likely to be faithless, wealthy Israelites. And we see the poor who are poor and defenseless um, Israelites and, and perhaps people of other faith as well. Um, we see throughout this, the first part of this psalm, that the wicked are boastful, they are greedy, uh, they renounce and revile the Lord, uh, as we read in verse 3. They feel secure from any form of divine judgment in verses 4 to 6 and verse 11. And they look to destroy uh, the innocent and advance their own interests. And we can see that in verses 8 to 10. Does this sound familiar? Um, This is definitely not just something confined to biblical times. Um, We see this uh, common model throughout the world whether it's here uh, in Edinburgh on our own streets or whether it is in different parts of the world. You only need to look on the news, uh, particularly now. It is particularly bad uh, for violence just now in our world uh, to see that this is not just a problem of biblical times. A couple of uh, illustrations from our work and some issues in the world today. Um, Approximately one in five women are likely to be uh, a victim of sexual abuse during their lifetime. A shocking statistic. And in certain parts of the world where we work, that statistic is more like one in two. And for example, in Bolivia, uh, where you have this statistic and where you have actions that are against the law, a perpetrator of those actions is statistically more likely to slip in the shower and die than they are to be brought to account for that crime. So we see a very similar theme to here, people carrying out violence without any regard for being held to account for that crime. Um, Something that you might uh, be aware of through listening to the news, particularly in the last uh, couple of years, is the issue of sex trafficking. Uh, Human trafficking uh, globally is the trafficking of people, people of flesh and blood, uh, daughters, sons, mothers, fathers, Um, trafficking from one place to another uh, really for their exploitation and for profit of other people. It is the fastest growing criminal enterprise uh, in the world and uh, it is a conservative estimate estimate of 2 million children are currently held in the sex trade throughout the world. Again, similar themes here of violence and a, a lack of regard for the Uh, the results of that. And finally, a final uh, example, modern-day slavery, very much connected to uh, human trafficking. 
Um, but today, again, there's a conservative estimate that are, there is nearly 30 million people held in different forms of slavery, which is more than any other point of time in history, including the height of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, during the 400 years of the slave trade, approximately 11 million people were taken out of Africa to go to the Americas, which was absolutely shocking. But to think that three times that figure uh, live in slavery today is quite a sobering thought in many regards. And again, in India, there's a conservative estimate that 15 million people are held in slavery. And despite this being against the law and those numbers, you're statistically more likely to be struck by lightning and killed than you are to be brought to account for that crime. So again, we see very uh, similar patterns in today, uh, in, in the world in which we live in to the, the model in this psalm. So it's very much a reality of violence that it has existed throughout history. You might, you might well ask uh, the question, where is God in all of this? And this is a question that came up uh, during the psalm a number of times. So right from the start, the psalmist writes, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Uh, Later in the psalm, the wicked then say they have no room for God in verse 4. Nothing will ever shake us in verse 6. No one will ever do us harm in verse 6. And then God will never notice us in verse 11. So, where is God is perhaps uh, a fair uh, question uh, to ask. And as I said at the start, it is a question that during my time as a Christian, I have probably been asked, most uh, by people that aren't Christians. This is going on in the world. Where, where is God in, in this? So it's a very common question. It's also a question that you might ask uh, for Jamie. Jamie was one of our clients that we worked with in Rwanda, in Kigali. Where was God for Jamie when she was repeatedly abused at the age of 14 by her husband and one of his friends? Where was God when she, locked, when she was locked in her bedroom, when her house was set on fire, leaving her uh, disabled, as you can see in that picture? Oops. Uh, where was God when Sandana, a little boy, along with his family, were held in slavery uh, in a brick kiln by these two men? Where was God uh, when Catherine, at the age of 13, Uh, was trafficked into a brothel in Philippines. So, where where is God? The question again. In order to come to an an answer of this, uh, we need to look at the Bible. And I think that act will actually show us that God is very much present. Uh, In the psalm before, in Psalm 9, uh, verse 18, it says, But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. The prophet Isaiah, uh, when he's giving the prophecy of the suffering servant, in uh, 53 uh, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by others, a man suffering and familiar with pain. Throughout the Gospels, we see the account of the incarnation. Jesus, God, the God-man, God in person, coming to a world that is broken and needy. We saw him relating to people that were suffering 
and were weak and were broken. In the current passage, in verse 17, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. This is a theme that's also echoed in the Exodus story when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. In this fascinating encounter, we see that God sees, he hears, and he feels the cries of uh, his people held in slavery in Egypt. And interestingly, in this passage as well, we also receive a call uh, from God to Moses to do something about this. So where is God? He is in the rubble of our broken lives. He is sitting in the dust with us as our life has been flipped upside down. He is with you in your darkest moments, and he is with you as you enter difficult situations to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So therefore, perhaps uh, rather than asking the question, where is God, the better question might be, where are God's people? Consider the injustices that are inflicted in Psalm 10. Uh, Consider the injustices that I've shared about the work of uh, some of the situations that IGM have come up against. What if God's people uh, stood up for these people going through these trials? What if they were to give those people a voice that enabled them to get through the situation that they were facing? What if they were to remind those people that God is very much with them and alive with them in those situations? Throughout history, we can see Christians that have been influenced by their faith uh, to respond to these issues. To name a few, we have William Wilberforce, who stood up um, in the minority in the British Parliament to see the end of the slave trade throughout the British Empire at that time. We see Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, is a legend in my book, and he stood up uh, against the the Nazi regime and and spoke out against that. Another legend, Martin Luther King Jr., who stood up for victims of racial prejudice uh, during the civil rights movement in the States. All of these people were Christians. All of these people were motivated to do it because they read in the Bible that uh, God uh, is passionate about his people responding to these issues. So why why should we respond? Um, Just two two thoughts on this. Um, One being a moral obligation. We are all people uh, created in God's image. And now, more than ever in history, we are connected to people around the world. Um, Tear Fund have a great quote that I read a few months ago that says, the average breakfast has traveled 5,000 miles to get to your plate. So before you even leave the house in the morning, you're connected with someone 5,000 miles away. Martin Luther King, again, says, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. So we definitely have a moral obligation because we're connected to people, whether it's people here in Edinburgh or people on the other side of the world. And there very much is a biblical basis for this as well. And to share just a few verses um, that stand out in this. Ephesians 2 uh, verse 10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works. And what do we uh, understand by these good works? This is something that has caused division. Um, 
whereby some people have thought that they can uh, achieve salvation through good works and other people think it's by faith alone, very much by faith alone. And Tim Keller outlines that we are saved by, uh, by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone, which I think is really helpful in, I guess, explaining what good works uh, might mean. And that is, that is from the book uh, Generous Justice. If you've not read that, it's, uh, it's an excellent piece of work uh, by Keller. To look a little bit more at what these good works might involve, the classic text from the prophet Micah 6.8 after um, seeing all the religious practices of the the pious religious Israelites at that point, he says these words, He has shown you, uh, people, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then finally, in uh, 1 John 3, 16 to 17, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If any of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? So we very much have a moral obligation to respond to injustice, as well as a biblical uh, mandate to, to respond. So what of... Uh, Jamie, Sandana, and Catherine, who I shared with earlier. Jamie is now thriving. IJM's lawyers represented her in court and received justice uh, for her case against the perpetrators of those actions. She entered into IJM's aftercare and received counseling and trauma therapy, as well as physical therapy to enable her to get back up on her feet. Um, An interesting uh, story in this is that uh, IJM's office in Rwanda has a driver, and the driver always had to carry Jamie around. And now Jamie says to the driver, nah, I'll carry you, because I can can walk uh, much better now. So it's a real story of transformation. Uh, Sandana, this is the boy that was held along with his family in slavery, and he is now, along with his sister, enjoying a life that every child should enjoy, drawing pictures and playing uh, outside. And then we see Catherine, the 14-year-old that was trafficked into uh, a brothel. She is an amazingly strong uh, woman, and an operation conducted by IJM and the local police ensured her rescue and her restoration. And she is now a woman that... uh, comes alongside uh, people that have gone through similar experiences uh, as, as she went through. So responding to these matters should be the natural overflow of the faith that we have in God. We also realize that these issues, whether it's the ones in the Psalms, in the Psalm or the ones that I've explained uh, today, these are big issues and we can't do them alone. So we very much need God uh, in these in closing, uh, just three, three thoughts. Um, just to reinforce that God sees, feels, and hears the cries of the oppressed. Um, may that be an encouragement to you uh, in the situations that you might be going through in, in your lives. Um, may it also be an encouragement in the conversations that you have with perhaps friends that aren't Christians 
to question God's whereabouts. Um, may it be an encouragement to you in those situations. Secondly, uh, we are called to go. God calls his people to go in his power to seek justice where there is none. And I think the concept of justice is one that has carried a lot of baggage for, in my opinion, for too long uh, in the church in Scotland and the UK. Um, there are definite things in our history that uh, are, are not good in that regard. But I, I believe that the church in Scotland needs to respond to this, not only to meet the needs of, physical needs of people, um, but I also believe that it is such a powerful witness uh, to people that do not yet have a faith. Um, one of my colleagues, uh, who was a, well, she's a career human rights activist and for most of her life was a staunch atheist, says this, that radical, courageous, outrageous notion that God sees cruelty and demands that those who love him do something about it was the beginning of the end of my intellectual defenses against the concept of a kind God in a hurting world. Again, Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, says, if the world sees the global church doing justice, then the world will get interested in the faith that we are seeking to share. So justice, as well as meeting social needs, provides a very, very powerful apologetic in an unbelieving world. And then finally, uh, God calls us to respond. Um, that might be through ways uh, getting involved with stuff that IGM do. It might be other organizations that are doing um, things here in Edinburgh. It might be uh, other global organizations as well. But just to close, three ways that you might uh, like to uh, respond. Uh, you all, uh, I think, would have received uh, this petition card on your way into church this morning. Uh, this is our current advocacy campaign that, as an organization, we are supporting. And um, I won't go into all the boring details of it, but the, the United Nations uh, publishes goals to eradicate poverty every 15 years. And in 2015, they are... Uh, coming up with new goals, and what this petition is asking is actually to put the issue of violence at the, at the forefront of those. So more information is on the back of the cards. Um, also on those cards, you are given the opportunity to receive um, some of our newsletters or our prayer updates. We, we have uh, thousands of prayer partners across the UK that uh, join us in our work. IJM is very much centered and rooted on prayer. In our working day, we have an hour uh, dedicated to prayer, half an hour at the start and half an hour in the middle. And this is something that we invite uh, you and invite our supporters to engage with because it is stuff that we cannot do ourselves. Uh, we need help uh, in that. And then finally, I invite you to, to share this message as well. I believe that um, conversations can lead to uh, amazing things happening uh, for the gospel, uh, for the furthering of God's kingdom. So I challenge you uh, to share with your colleagues, your family, uh, your friends, some of these things that I've shared about today about global injustice. And maybe why, as a Christian, uh, if you are one, why are you, why are you motiv motivated to respond to that? Um,
So thank, thank you very much. Let me close uh, in prayer, and then I'll hand back to, to Derek. Father, I thank you that you um, are a God of justice. I thank you for your word, and that no matter where we look in it, uh, whether it is the books of law, the uh, Psalms, the wisdom uh, literature, um, the Gospels, the prophets, the letters, we see this thread of uh, justice, uh, you being a God that enters into our everyday situations and wants to be with us and journey with us in those situations. I thank you that we also see a clear call for uh, your people uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, in, in the world today. And I pray that whatever that might look like for the people uh, in, in this building this morning, I pray that you would speak uh, to each of us about that. Um, give us a burning desire. Perhaps it was one of these statistics that we heard. Um, perhaps it was one of the passages that we read uh, showing us your heart. Give us a desire to follow that up and journey uh, with you and seeing what that might look like. Um, so, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. It is such a gift to us. And thank you for the chance to look at it and study, at it, uh, study it this morning. We lift this up to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.